Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren, and co-host, cohort, whatever you call it, <laughs> writing is, show shotgun. <laughs> yeah, back, uh, back, back, David. Rose, bad back Martino. Bad <laughs> back Martino, yeah. <laughs> if you're practicing your karate again, you know. That's just, yeah, just threw my back out. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. Terrible. I, I think as I know the truth, I know. It was because your, your wife, you didn't take her to the run DMC concert. So she, that's right. And she put me in a joint lock and, yeah, and she threw, threw me, me on the ground. She threw me on the stairs a couple of times. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you. There's no video of it, so it didn't happen. Yeah. You're. Take the back seat. <laughs> you deserve it anyway. I do. Yeah. Like I said, it could be worse. You could be on a no. Never mind. I'm not going to go this thing. That was. Like, I know I'm going to get in trouble for that. So I, I think I think I better stay away from that section because you know we get in trouble all the time. Mm. Well, anyway, we we've got another uh, great show coming up. Now we're going to be talking um, to an author again. Jeez, we're doing a lot of authors lately. Should take up writing. Um, Well, uh, this guy, he's got a new book out called uh, Shoot the Moonlight Out. And uh, this is the, I don't know, it looks like he's done a lot of books, at least five, six here. Uh, William Boyle, thank you for being on the show. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, we'll see if you say that at the end of the show. (laughs) (laughs) You might see if you don't. You know, we have we've 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 only kicked one person out this week. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, that that was beyond when you start talking about the Bilderbergs and all that conspiracy (laughs) stuff and and lizard people. It was like, come Mm. on, I'm done. (laughs) 
you know, we're done. We're done. <laughs> you haven't seen any lizard people lately out here over in New York. No, no. I'm actually, well, I'm actually in uh, Mississippi, so um, oh, I'm from New York. But I live in Mississippi, so maybe I did. Maybe yeah. I did. They're just kind of <laughs> undercover, undercover lizard people. Yeah, because, you know, you just never know. Do you, do, you, do you like to write about lizards or no? I don't think I've ever written about a lizard, and I don't anticipate uh, writing about that. <laughs> it could be a great add-on <laughs> to your next book. Think about it. Yeah, maybe. I'll th- I will. I'll put some thought into it. <laughs> yeah, come, they come out, and they're, they're really a lizard in there. I, <laughs> it, it looks like you now. So you are, how do you consider yourself? What kind of writer? Like crime fiction sort of writer? Uh, yeah, yeah. I generally call myself a crime writer. How how did that come about? Like, what what got you into the crime fiction? Um, um, you know, I just I loved crime fiction from a pretty young age. Um, I was uh, you know getting assigned stuff in school that I didn't didn't like, and when I was around uh, ten or eleven, I started reading writers like Ed McBain, and I just kind of tapped into that world, and um, you know just kept discovering stuff at the library and. Read Elmer Leonard and Jim Thompson and um, James Elroy and a bunch of writers like that when I was pretty young, and so I had a I had a taste for it uh, as a kid, and uh, and then kind of my, my tastes go all over the place, but I think when I finally started to figure out who I was as a writer, I mean I've always wanted to, I've always written and always wanted to be a writer, but I kind of um, you know didn't know if I what I wanted to do if I wanted to write poetry or write screenplays or write plays or, or whatever. Um, but by the time I was about 18, I guess I'd figured out that I wanted to write fiction. And, um, I, you know, I, my taste was all over the place, like I said, but I, you know, probably by my mid twenties or early twenties, I kind of figured out that I wanted to write character driven, place driven crime fiction. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, but, um, was there a particular incident that ignited your thing to write? Because, and I say that because, um, I mean, we both write here, right? And of course, I uh, I published books, but I, I don't consider myself a good writer. I uh, <laughs> so what got you brave enough to actually decide that you you should publish these books? Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if there was one particular incident. It was just kind of, um, one of those things that, that always, I always wanted as a kid. I just started, you know, pretty much as far back as I can remember, certainly age seven or so, I was writing stories. And, um, by high school, I was writing a lot and pretty, pretty weirdly, pretty disciplined. Um, I mean, I was writing garbage, but I was working hard at it. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I think I just, uh, it, it took me a while. I didn't have a, I didn't have a model for it really. I mean, I knew, I, I knew there were writers I loved and I loved going to bookstores and libraries, but I didn't know any writers really. And, um, so it was really not until my early thirties that I started uh, publishing. But I guess what I'm saying is you mustn't really have a fear then. Like you, you write and you put it out and you have enough confidence that you're not really, you're not really worried about people that dislike it or, or say, say bad things. Um, no, I mean, you know, I think I've always had kind of a thick skin when it comes to that stuff. I kind of have a, a mentality of just like, you just have to be able to, you 
have to be able to take those punches. Otherwise you, you're just not going to make, you can't be that, that sensitive about it. Um, not a, nobody's, you know, most people probably aren't going to read it. Number one. Um, and then the people that do are going to be split on <laughs> whether they yeah. like it or not. So, um, you right. know, different people have different, different tastes. And I just, you know, I try to approach it. I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of so much stuff, you know, books and, and movies and music. I just kind of try to think about it. Um, as a fan, you know, I'm not, I'm not that way. I kind of talk about, there's stuff I don't like, but I don't generally talk about that stuff. I kind of focus on the stuff I love. Yeah. Well, you're from Brooklyn. You're tough. Um, <laughs> but well, not only that, yeah, I don't, I don't really understand today's culture in the sense of, uh, you know, you turn on a radio show, you think, oh, this is garbage or I don't like it. You flip the channel, right? Or just like you, you get a book and you read it and go, oh, it's not my style, but people love to, um, comment get online, you know, get, yeah. get a big thing going because, which I'm not sure why, because why not just do something else, you know, but, you know, that's the yeah. way. I don't I, get I, it. There's no, there's no value in it for me. It kind of makes me, it makes me feel bad about things, you know, and what doesn't make me feel bad about things is talking about stuff I love, you know, that makes me feel productive and, and, you know, feels more meaningful. Now I noticed this is uh, they they classified your new book the uh, as vigilante justice thrillers. Okay, so we, we're we're are, are we talking about like the old uh, you know what's that uh, Death Wish type? <laughs> Remember with Charles um, Bronson? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, based on a really that's based on a really good novel by a writer named John Garfield. Um, no, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't quite. They use a lot of uh, classification terms for for books. I don't really um, think of it as a as a vigilante book, though. There is a little bit of of um, that thread in in the book. Uh, there's a character who is is kind of doling out neighborhood justice, um, but yeah, it's kind of a, it's you know, maybe a little bit of a misleading tag. It's certainly not the not the whole of the book it's uh, one one little thread in the book well that's interesting so now when you when you go to write this book for instance like you're talking about um the characters so and you and you like character driven sort of stories so where do you get your characters from like how do they come to you um variety of places i guess you know i like uh, i like ensemble casts i like big sprawling casts um and this this novel is um set in the uh it starts in 1996 and then the bulk of it is set in june of 2001 in southern brooklyn um so i definitely kind of go back to my memories of growing up there and people I, I knew, uh, I use a little bit of that. I certainly draw from my own experiences. Um, but I also like just making stuff up and I like kind of the mythology, um, aspect of, of writing about, um, about Brooklyn. And, and, uh, so, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of different places they come from. Um, you know, I'm influenced certainly by, by, books I'm reading and movies I'm watching. And so I think all that stuff kind of gets filtered in there in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the title itself, shoot the moonlight out, where, where does that come from? How, what does that mean? 
Uh, it comes from a, there's a musician I really love named Garland Jeffries. Um, and he was, he was kind of a big discovery for me. Um, uh, yeah, I got into him through Lou Reed. I really love Lou Reed. And uh, I read an interview with Lou Reed somewhere along the line. And he was talking about Garland Jeffries, who was putting out albums in the, I mean, he's still putting out records actually that are really good. Um, but he, he kind of came on the scene in the seventies, uh, New York guy. Um, and so this album, this is, this is a song title of his, Shoot the Moonlight Out. It's a song I really love. And, um, I just kind of, you know, I, I very often for titles, I think I'm either thinking about, uh, place names or song titles. And so this was a song title that just kind of just, inspired me and prompted something in me and i kind of sat down with the title and started working from there i mean it's got no real connection to this the book has no connection to the song beyond kind of the, the tone and atmosphere it helped me create but um it was just a title i loved and i started going from there now you mostly write about uh brooklyn and brooklyn of the past and um you know, I know you grew up in brooklyn but is, is there something specific about brooklyn that calls to you to to, to write these books um, you know, it's just, especially the last couple of books, I've gone back to the 90s and the early 2000s and kind of the time that I lived there most intimately. So I think, you know, I'm a big advocate of writing about what haunts you and, and, um, and that's the place that haunts me the most. It's where I, it's where I grew up. It's where I, um, you know, my family is still there. I'm not, I'm not currently there, but, um, I, uh, you know, I just, go there when I sit down to write it's the place that I automatically return to and I feel like I've kind of been over a few books been building a uh, a version of my Brooklyn you know kind of blend of of the Brooklyn I've known and some mythological uh, imaginary Brooklyn um, and it's just kind of the, the I don't know I've been populating it with, with people and kind of you know, there are characters I will drop into one book for a page and then, you know, think about and wonder about and want to return to uh, in another book. So I think it's just kind of this, the, the place that I go, the place I want to spend time when I'm, when I'm writing. So in a way, you're kind of writing New York as a, um, as a character itself. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, um, at least my, my version of, of it. Yeah. Um, the way I've known it, the way I've seen it, the way I imagine it. Um, it's a big character. I mean, I've always, like I said, I've always loved and responded to, um, stuff that is really rooted in, in place. Um, so, you know, when I, I live in Mississippi now, I live in Oxford, Mississippi. And, um, one of the things that drew me down here originally was the writer, Larry Brown, um, who I love. Um, and he, you know, the way he wrote about, Mississippi was the way ultimately I wanted to write about New York. And so that was a big, that was a big influence in terms of thinking about place early on. Well, yeah. Um, so your main character, if you were to describe, like, I, I guess you do an ensemble, but I think, uh, what is it? It's, uh, I can't even say his last name, Bobby uh, Santo Vasco. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> good. I mean, good name. Uh, um, how would you describe that character? Um, well, yeah, he's kind of. I mean, he's he's to me not not really the main character of the book, but definitely one of the one of the 
three or four main characters. Um, and he's, he's a young character. Um, the book opens with him. He's, he's a kid, um, in the first section and then just a little bit older, uh, in the, in the rest of the book. And he, he's a character who does in the opening chapter in the prologue, I should say, uh, does something stupid that, that, um, spins out of control and has, um, fatal consequences. And, um, so he's a character that's shaped by that bad decision and becomes kind of self-destructive. But then it also opens up into something else for him as he tries to get away from, from that. Um, so he's, yeah, he's one of the, one of the main characters. And I think I always kind of tend to alternate between uh, younger characters who are uh, wanting to get out of the neighborhood and older characters who are stuck in the neighborhood. Um, and they're both kind of, or, you know, settled in the neighborhood, I should say, I guess. Um, the younger characters often feel trapped and, and want to escape. And the older characters have kind of settled into their way of, of living or, you know, given up or, or whatever. Well, when you write these characters like Bobby and uh, some of these other younger, older characters, um, can, can you hear their voices in your head? I mean, I know I hear voices when I write, but uh, I just wonder if, if you can, um, if you hear them, if, if you're more translating what you're seeing in your mind, uh, images, uh, and turning that into prose. Oh, yeah, that's that's, a, that's an interesting thing to think about. I don't know. Yeah, I, I definitely... Um, definitely hear something, you know, I'm so, I, I love dialogue and I've always loved writing dialogue. And, um, you know, as a kid, I used to just sit around and, and tape, um, my grandparents talking and then transcribe their conversations. And so I do, I think when I'm writing dialogue, I do hear kind of the, you know, hear their voices to, to a certain extent. I, I definitely, you know, hear kind of rhythms of, of, speak you know the way way people speak um i don't know that it's you know crystal clear like i'm hearing a certain person saying something a certain way but there's definitely kind of an interior um thing going on for me when i'm when i'm writing dialogue um and the same goes for just kind of seeing seeing it i mean you know definitely you know i love i love films and i'm definitely inspired by a lot of films so there's there's part of me that is seeing the action unfold as if it were a movie or, or, you know, seeing certain actors in certain roles, things like that. Yeah. Well, that's all right. And, and don't worry. D Dave's a little bit insane. So, you know, yeah, that's true. Voices <laughs> and I tell him to do things and it kind of gets a little crazy. <laughs> right? So you just, you know, kind of keep your distance from him, you know, um, are you, are, so do you actually, um, take real people in your life and make them characters? Or if you're like at a, let's say you, you've gone to the store, you're going through the drive-through to get some sort of uh, McDonald's or something and someone cuts you off or someone does something rude, um, <laughs> do, do you take that person and put them in your book and maybe have them tortured or shot? <laughs> I mean, I just, um, I just, I just, I'm asking for a friend. I just... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've definitely, I definitely use, um, I, I've, I've used to a certain extent, I've used parts of people, I'd say. I'm definitely, you know, I, I, writing is so much about observation, about what you see and kind of collecting things along the way. So there, you know, I think subconsciously, then there are things that are 
always showing up in, in what you're working on or in what I'm working on, you know, um, there's not, um, not usually some very specific things where I've totally based someone on someone that I, I know or have seen, but definitely pieces of people are kind of always showing up. I mean, certainly pieces of myself are always showing up in characters and uh, pieces of my mom and my grandparents are kind of always showing up in characters, but um, not probably some in a case like that, probably that's not something I would use, but if it was somebody I'd, I'd kind of known, uh, known well, they would, they would probably in, in some way, even, even in disguise, um, kind of show up in the text. Okay. Give us some names here. Let's, <laughs> let's get to the real stuff. Here. Who, are you, who are you torturing in your books? Right? People want to yeah. know. Yeah. Would you well, there, is, well, there is one guy. Oh, no, okay, kidding. perfect. No, there we no, go. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> oh. um, do you actually write a theme in, in your book itself, or, is, or does it just come out, do you think? Like some sort of, um, at the end of the story, um, under underlying, is there some sort of message you always try to get across in a book? Um, I don't think I'm ever setting out for for that. No, I mean, I think there are kind of themes that, uh, I'm obsessed with that are kind of always showing up and, and appearing in whatever I'm writing. And then there are um, themes that kind of occasionally work themselves into a book. Um, and so those, those things, and in this book, you know, I mean, I think like it's definitely, there's a lot about forgiveness and, and, and grief, um, uh, you know, so that that stuff, it's not something that I'm consciously, thinking about at the outset, but certainly kind of, you know, comes to the surface as I'm, I'm working. How long does it take you to write a book? And, and for instance, this book, what, what was the process for you? How long? Um, you know, it depends from book to book. Uh, this, this was, this was written during the kind of early to mid middle stage of the pandemic. Um, so, Actually, it's it was a pretty, pretty quick book, but I was, you know, I was home. I was working pretty nonstop. I didn't have. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Travel or other stuff that usually gets in the way and breaks up my writing time. Um, so, yeah, this was probably the, the first draft of it was probably a few months. And then, and then, you know, the revision process took a few months. So I think all told, it was probably you know, eight or nine months. Well, I was just wondering, has a character ever done anything to surprise you? Have they refused to do something or just kind of gone off the rails and decided they were going to do something that uh, didn't kind of match up with the plot? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that. That's one of my favorite things about writing is that even <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge or I, I wasn't in the beginning anyway, a huge planner. Um, in the last couple of books, I've tended to figure things out a little bit more beforehand just so I could try to cut trouble off at the past. But um, but still, I always want to leave room for wandering and for exploration, and for detours and just, you know, um, so I like that. And I, I like when, you know, I expect a character character to turn right and they turn left and they do something that I wasn't expecting. So, yeah, that that's happened. And in this book, actually, there was this wasn't specifically one character, but there was a um, it wasn't one character doing something. It was more that a character showed up who I had no intention of being in the book and just kind of took over at a certain point. So that was a really fun mm. thing to have happen um for me mm. do you are you able to are you one of those writers that you're able to sit down and kind of go okay i i'm clear between you know one and four today so i'm going to sit down and write and then seven o'clock tomorrow night I, i'm clear so i can write can you just sit down and turn it on or do you have to be in a mood um yeah no i, mean, I require definitely um early in the morning. I mean, if I can, when I'm, when I'm working on something, I get up at five and I write from five to eight or five to nine. Um, and that's, that's really usually the most important time to me, the time when I get the best writing done. And when I'm working on a book, I, I really, really prefer if I can to, to be doing it, um, every day. I mean, it's going to be obviously, you know, different for different people, but I try to, you know, I try to work on books and stretches of time where I know, I'm not traveling or not doing uh, anything like that. So I don't lose the the flow of it. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's really important for me to work early in early, the early mornings usually. Um, and then, you know, I tend to revise and, and kind of rework stuff in the afternoons, but um, mornings are really, really important for me. Mm. How did COVID go for you in, in the, in the way of writing? Did it, did it affect the way you wrote or did it change how you wrote or any, any sort of process in there? Um, you know, it was actually, I mean, it's, it, 
I mean, this, uh, I don't mean to make it sound positive because it was such a terrible time in so many ways, but it was, uh, it was suited my lifestyle. Well, well, you know, I, I wrote early every morning and I wrote for, uh, you know, I wrote a lot. Um, and I think I kind of, uh, I kind of allowed myself to get lost in that. And that, that kind of kept me, kept me sane during the hardest stretch of it. Um, and, you know, uh, it also allowed me to, and my, my ideal day is, is writing and then reading and watching movies and listening to music and of course hanging out with my family. So that's pretty much what I was doing all the time, every day. And it really creatively was uh, a good period for me because I was, I was reading a lot. I was watching a lot of films and when I'm doing that, um, it's kind of feeding, feeding the, the creativity, I think. And, um, so it worked out. I mean, it was a pretty, pretty good time for me in terms of getting work done. Hmm. So, but, but do you think, do you think it was going to be a little bit darker the way you wrote? Did you kill more people in this book or feel more, <laughs> more negative? Oh, it's just that, you know, cause when you're in a, I don't know about you, but when you're sitting in a stress, stressful environment, yeah. the things around you are, are really upsetting or going on and, um, even if it's not COVID, but when there's some other things going on, does that, and you, and you're kind of under the, the gun, so to speak, to write, um, do you sort of, do, do you think it's a darker way of writing? Do you think you come out a little bit meaner? Or? I think, you know, actually maybe it worked the opposite for me a little bit because my books are generally pretty dark. Um, and, and so I think on this book, maybe I, maybe I got a little bit more, open there than I usually do. And maybe that had something to do with my mindset at the time. I was kind of looking for, looking for that hope where I could get it. Um, I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. It's, it's dark and it's got some, it's pretty violent and there's, there's plenty of meanness in there, but there's also a little bit of hope shining through, I think. So. Wow. So you and I, uh, <laughs> if someone was, to, if someone's never heard of you. Uh, I know. It, it might be yeah, most two, most right? people probably. No, there might be one or two <laughs> out there. They've never heard of you before, and they go, "Oh my God, who is this guy?" And uh, they were to buy one book. Which book would you recommend to them of yours to buy that you would kind of guess it would kind of cover what kind of writer you are? Uh, I mean, I, I think I'm always kind of thinking about the most recent one. Um, so I would say this, this one, shoot the moonlight out. And if not this one, if somebody didn't want to buy a book in hardcover, I would say uh, the last one, City of Margins, um, which kind of, you know, to me, these two books are kind of a culmination of a lot of stuff that I've been building towards. And I think I've, I've, um, I've gone back, you know, to the, to the nineties and the early two thousands, which is a time that I, I uh, like writing about a lot, so uh, they're they're pretty representative, I think. I was wondering, you you've talked about some influences. Uh, do you have any influences that might surprise fans? Oh man, yeah, I, I would imagine I've got <laughs> a lot of a lot of influences that would surprise people because yeah, I mean, I think I'm I think I'm all over the place in terms of what I like, and in fact, you know, um, pretty often I, I think that. Uh, the stuff that people wouldn't expect or, you know, as, as in terms of being influenced by things, I think it's important to, you know, read outside your genre and watch things outside your genre. And so uh, I don't know, I don't even know where to start. I have so many, so many influences that um, 
show up what I can talk about the, the director I was just thinking about her the director Lynn Shelton who passed away last year um, you know I think people would be probably surprised to know that that I mean her work is a huge had a huge impact on me and um, in particular on these last couple of books um, you know so there's stuff like that but there's there's stuff across the spectrum in terms of movies and music and books I think you know old screwball screwball comedies and <laughs> pre-code pre-code cinema and you know all, all sorts of um, music and uh, tons of tons of writers I mean certainly uh, you know probably a lot of um, writers outside the crime fiction genre literary literary writers um, sci-fi writers you know what whatever uh, so yeah ton, tons of stuff do you read Dave's books is that it <laughs> are, you, are you a big fan right come on you know <laughs> you're supposed to pick one of the hosts and say yeah i like it. <laughs> your writing has been a big influence on me yeah you guys you guys have you guys have been oh, a yeah. big influence on me <laughs> See? Oh, that, now now we're talking we're gonna get you on prime time now this is like don't mess around here oh yeah the nineties the nineties was a pretty good time uh for me. Did you did you really like the nineties? Is that why you go back there? Well, you know, it was just such a formative time for me. You know, I was born in seventy eight, so I was I was twelve, you know, turned twelve in nineteen ninety and and then I was, you know, twenty two at the at you know, at the or twenty one or twenty two at the end of the nineties. So it was this really in terms of discovery, in terms of the the you know writers I was reading the the films I was watching the music I was listening to it was all everything comes back to that time really um, but it was also I think you know artistically um, it was an interesting time uh, in America I mean it was just a great independent film scene there was great uh, great music scene that you know even even popular mainstream kind of stuff was was good um at least for a stretch there in the early 90s and um so it was just yeah it was just this truly formative time for me i you know started it in junior high and i ended it in college and in that 10-year stretch i discovered just everything you know it was everything i everything i loved and also an aesthetic, you know, I mean, Generation X kind of slacker aesthetic that <laughs> that um, still shapes me, I think. Well, do you think, you know, we've we've had 80s nostalgia. Do you think that 90s nostalgia has hit now, or are, are we still kind of waiting for that? I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I can't think of tons of good stuff that has come out that has been set in the 90s, or, or I can't think of, I guess, a ton of stuff that uses the nineties kind of in that period piece mm. way that the eighties is used now. I mean, um, the eighties stuff is, has gotten a little bit out of hand. I think there's just so much, <laughs> um, so much kind of bad, bad eighties nostalgia. Um, and you know, people just throw like a windbreaker on a character and give them a boom box <laughs> and, or whatever and True. call it, call it the eighties. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, I also, I think the nineties, um, is not as probably dramatic in terms of like fashion and kind mm -hmm. of that weird eighties aesthetic, but you know, there's, it's, it's definitely, it's just the end of an era in so many ways. It's like, you know, pre 
pre 9-11, pre-internet. Mm. Oh, well, you know, internet had, it was out, but it wasn't, you know, a huge thing. Pre-cell phone, certainly. So it's this kind of just, um, just this end of uh, the end of things. Um, it was very, you know, independent spirit kind of stuff in terms of, um, film and music and, and literature. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I imagine, I imagine there'll be probably uh, a good amount of nineties nostalgia and maybe it's happening and I just don't know it. But for me, it's just more of a personal thing that in terms of going back to the, the place when I lived there and when I knew it, cause that's the way I see it in my mind and that's the way I remember it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You must read Dave's books, Boombox and a <laughs> Breaker. You've got to be reading this stuff. Um, well, you know, I, the nineties was a was a pre the last really happy time. I yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because it seems like everyone's uptight, and there's so many things that are happening, and it's always this. You know, we're living in a, a tense world for some reason. Um, since 2000 seems like to me it feels that way and the, and the, the 90s seemed like a really good time plus i got laid a lot the 90s so <laughs> that was yeah thing, things were much better but um i i i, I you know i what do i know you know uh, so where where do you plan on going with this kind of what, what what's kind of your plan are you going to keep writing in the crime fiction thriller sort of era are you going to kind of go somewhere different um you know i just kind of i mean i think i'm yeah I, I intend to um i intend to keep writing writing this world and developing this kind of um universe of characters and and um whatever that i've <laughs> come up with um i don't know you know i'm i, I I have other ideas, certainly, but I think I'll probably stay pretty close, close to this. And even when I, I think even when I stray from it, it'll be of a piece with it tonally and atmospherically. I mean, I think I tend to write dark character driven, place driven stuff, whether, it, you know, it ultimately is rooted in crime or not. Um, but I have a very broad definition of what crime fiction is. So I'll probably always through that lens be writing some some kind of crime fiction yeah you could have like the uh crime of the lizards <laughs> you know, you know yeah. dark, they wear dark glasses and they're 90s lizards yeah. <laughs> 90s lizards yeah 90s lizards. <laughs> do, you, do you like the noir sort of thing like the black sort of um black and white sort of old uh detective sort of stories oh yeah yeah i mean i love that that stuff that stuff really literally kind of changed, changed my life. Uh, I just kind of looked across it when I was, when I was young and um, never really saw the world the same way again. Uh, so it was huge. It was a huge discovery for me as a kid. I, I tend to like, I'm not a huge um, detective. Like I like plenty of detective stuff. I like Hammett and Chandler. Yeah. I like a lot of that stuff, but for the most part, I like the more kind of bleaker, the bleaker noir um, detour was a big was a big film for me as a kid and still is a huge influence on me. Yeah, yeah. There's some really good um, on. I, I always watch the TCM one all the time. And oh yeah, noir alley. Yeah, yeah. Listen to the stations as well, like the old uh, 
shows and stuff like that. They're, 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 I don't know. They're, they have much more, um, I don't want to say they're better written, but they're just uh, something more stimulating. About them. There's that word. <laughs> yeah, well, they are. I mean, they're all just uh, tonally, atmospherically, and they do, they're just, they look beautiful and they're crisp and they're, you know, even when they're grungy, they're, they, they look good and they're shadowy. And, you know, and, and very often there were, you know, there certainly there were great directors involved and there were great writers involved on so many of them. I was just thinking about this writer, Daniel Fuchs, who I love, who was a Brooklyn novelist, wrote novels in the 30s and then went to Hollywood and wrote scripts. And um, he wrote uh, Criss Cross, which is one of the great noirs, and he wrote The Gangster, which is terrific. And um, So there were there were great novelists who were brought out there and were working on a lot of those things. Do you ever imagine what it would be like to go back? And if you were alive in that time, if you would be able to be a writer then, and what your life would be like, and and do you think you would? Do you think you could make it in the in the thirties and forties as a writer? You know, I do. I do think about that a lot. Obviously, it was a bad time for for a lot of people. If you were if you were oh, a yeah. writer, a, a writer of color, or you know, a person of color, or you know, pretty much anybody, but not not a, a white man. I guess it was a not. It was it was not a good time. You know probably not a thing you would want to imagine but um but i mean i i do i am totally fascinated by by that era and so much fiction that i love comes out of that that era when people were just kind of figuring things out and you know the movies were just really getting going um so yeah i I do think about that and i i am influenced by so many writers from that time that it's hard hard not to get caught up imagining or uh, or at least, you know, be be fascinated um, by the subject and read about it as much as I can. Well, I find it fascinating that um, during the war and during all that, like the racism stuff and the a- anti-Jew sentiment and, and just everything else. Um, yeah. That they were able, with all of that going on in the world and all that pain and destruction and killing and all this stuff going on. And really, you didn't know how it was going to end back then you were it would be all up in the air so it would be a really fearful time but it's amazing how much good material came out of that and um and and i just wonder now with the covid for instance and all the negativity the last few years i wonder if we'll get the same sort of um boom in in uh good yeah I, I mean the other thing that's always interesting about that period to me is that you know very often they were working within constraints right um just like there's a especially in by the by 30 mid 30s there was the Hayes code and film so they were they had to kind of they had to put a lot of the stuff under the surface and they had to try to figure out ways to tell stories within the constraints of the code and uh, and still be effective so i mean it, you know i think it it put tension on on the storytelling and probably ultimately in a lot of ways made it even better yeah i, I you know i'd like to go back as long as i um had like modern technology <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, you know, I, I don't want to live like that. Um, wow. Uh, no, uh, website, contacts, how do you how do you like people to find you? 
Oh, I'm I'm all over the place. Um, my website is just williammichaelboyle.com, and uh, I'm on Twitter, wmboyle4, and other other places. But those are probably the main ones. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we'll have that on our website, so listeners can find you with one click and stuff like that. And uh, um, and 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 do you have like a, a Tinder or? Grind your hand. <laughs> you want people yeah. to have her? No, just stay away from that. Do you, yeah. do, you, do you like having? Um, do you like interacting with people? Do you actually do that sort of thing, or are you kind of shy away from doing that? I mean, I always like interacting with people when we're talking about um, stuff we like. You know, so it's fun. You know, as long as that's, I mean, as long as that's what the conversation is, I'm, I love it. You know, and we're talking about books we like and movies we like and music we like that's that's great um that's one of my favorite things in the world to do uh anything you know other than that um sometimes i guess <laughs> yeah yeah you know i sit, sit around talk about britney spears and stuff that's, <laughs> that's you know important things in life right you know hmm. um well it's certainly been a pleasure and um glad you could make it on and uh and uh, everyone, you've got to go buy this book. This is the book to have. Now, it comes out November 2nd, so on air date, this should be the 3rd. So it should be out now. So there's no excuses. Pick up the book. It's called That's right. Shoot the Moonlight Out, and it's a novel. Um, the author was our guest, William Boyle. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you guys. Thanks, William. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.